following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. We're going to continue this week in our series. It's called What is God Doing? Uh, And we're going to look this week at the story of Naaman. So if you would, please turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 19 together. Uh, The book of 1 and 2 Kings, it's between 1 and 2 Samuel and then 1 and 2 Chronicles towards the front of your Bible, if you're still learning how to do that. If you don't have a way to follow along with us as we study God's Word, we will have the verses on the screen for you. Uh, As you're turning there, uh, let's talk for just a minute about in-person gatherings, okay? I know that things are opening up, and I know that the president made a statement uh, about churches being essential this week, and that they should be opened up. Uh, Taking all that into consideration, though, let's let's make sure one thing is, is perfectly clear right off the jump. There is no pandemic, natural disaster, nor civil authority on this planet that can close the church because the church is not a facility or an event. The church is the body of Christ, saved by the blood of Christ and entrusted with preaching the gospel of Christ to a lost and dying world. Amen. Now, with that important distinction in place, we can also acknowledge that the regular weekly gathering of God's people physically to worship through singing, biblical teaching, and and the taking of communion, it it is a vital part of accomplishing the mission that God gave us to love Him and love one another and make disciples. And and we want to resume gathering physically as soon as it is wise to do so. There are so many factors to consider that it it would take me hours to lay it all out. But, But here are the big ones that we're thinking and praying through. Number one is is we do not know yet what effect loosening restrictions will have on infection rates here in Southwest Ohio. If more things being open leads to an increase, we're not going to know that still for a couple weeks. The metrics are trailing, okay? Number two, the capacity and social distancing restrictions that the state is asking organizations to follow, they're going to make it very difficult to have in-person gatherings. Not impossible, but difficult. I'm talking about things like keeping building capacity at 25%. That's, that's going to be tough. Uh, it's going to be tough to plan for visitors and people that may be, as a result of all this, looking to connect to a, a good gospel-centered church. It's a challenge. Um, in addition to that, keeping rooms... Uh, with children under 10 and, and having only one adult, uh, everyone keeping six feet of distance from one another, and, and, and the list goes on and on. The, the third thing is, is I understand that everyone's going to Kroger and Costco and restaurants now, but typically the, the interaction norm in these places is different than it is when we come together as God's people. Children are not accustomed to running up and hugging all the adults and other children in the grocery store, for the most part. Nor are adults typically hugging each other and shaking hands and conversing with each other in in those settings. Uh, 
the interaction between us on Sundays is, is a big part of the beauty of gathering. And, and it's going to be weird and, and difficult trying to avoid that uh, by coming back together physically too soon. So what we're hoping happens is that the metrics that everyone is watching, they keep trending in a positive direction and more of these restrictions will be loosened even further so that we can come back together without feeling like we all need to be in our own you know, six-foot bubble to protect one another. And, and that's a lot of what it's about. It's about protecting one another. I know for some, you're, you're, you're really anxious to, to get out and do a lot of things, and, and gathering with God's people is one of them. Uh, and, and maybe you have no fear whatsoever of the virus for you personally, and that's that's great. I, none of us should, should be living in fear of this virus or anything else because of Jesus, but that doesn't, that's not the only consideration. The, because of the nature of how this works, it's protecting others that's our primary concern and what we're thinking through and praying through. We, for Love City, we have the, the consideration of the fact that we are kind of, at this point, caught between two places. We have begun to shift some of our things to the new space as we keep pushing forward to have that done, but we aren't quite to the place where we can gather there yet. And I promise you that's not for lack of trying. We are working as hard as we can to get there. Uh, The HVAC system is almost complete. Uh, Carpet is almost done. And and then at that point, it's, it's down to mostly details. But if you've ever done a renovation project, you know the details uh, can be quite a bit. And and that's going to be the case here. But we're working hard on it, and we're getting closer. There's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. So with all that in mind, we think the best approach in the short term is something that many of you have already begun doing. If you and your family are healthy, and you feel it is safe to begin gathering with other people, then we would encourage those folks to begin gathering in smaller groups in homes to particip- participate that was a tough word, to participate in the digital gatherings together that way. What this will do is it'll allow for the chance of putting the entire congregation at risk all at once because we're all in the same room. It'll reduce that, but it also gives those who are ready and willing to begin gathering together again an opportunity to do so. I'm not sure how much you're kind of plugged into the chatter out there, but the two ends of the spectrum that we're seeing from churches across the country are basically on one end, they're jumping back into physical gatherings now. And the other end is that they're saying they're not going to return until all the restrictions are completely lifted. And as is our norm, we find ourselves in the middle of that spectrum. Okay, so we are prayerfully and carefully considering the best way to honor God fulfill our mission, and do the best we can to keep all of you safe. And all the people safe that you then are going to go interact with. So in all of that, let's be praying. Let's be praying for this virus to die and for the church of Jesus Christ to keep preaching the message of life found in his gospel. Amen? The last thing I'll say on that is, is if you have questions or concerns or needs at this time, please reach out to us and let us know we are here for you. We love you. Reach out to us unless your question is, when are we all gathering physically again? Because the answer to that is, right now, we aren't sure yet. As soon as we think we can nail that down, we'll let you know. 
Uh, and, and why is that the answer that we're not sure yet? It's because of all the reasons I just gave you. Amen? Okay. Now, let's read from 2 Kings 5, because I've been waiting for this one since we started this series, and I'm real excited to get into this with you. Okay? So we're going to read 2 Kings 5, verses 1 through 19. Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master and highly respected, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Now the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus spoke the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Aram said, Go now, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. He departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand shekels of gold and ten changes of clothes. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, And now this letter comes to you. And now as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? But consider now and see how he is seeking a quarrel against me. It happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, and he shall know there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. But Naaman was furious and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. When he returned to the man of God with all his company, and he came and stood before him, he said, Behold, now I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so please take a present from your servant now. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will take nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Naaman said, If not, please let your servant at least be given two mules load of earth, for your servant will no longer offer burnt offerings, nor will he sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon, when I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. He said to him, Go in peace. So he departed from him some distance. Praise God for his word. Amen. So here we have the account of Naaman, a a man of valiant reputation and high esteem, and yet plagued with one of the most detestable diseases of the ancient world. In case as you're reading this and we're talking about it, you're you're thinking, you know, oh, I can can relate to Naaman because, you know, maybe you've had a bad rash or you've had bad acne at some point. Let me just read you a description of, of leprosy, okay? Ancient leprosy began as small red spots on the skin. Before too long, the spots get bigger and start to turn white with sort of a shiny or scaly appearance. 
Pretty soon the spots spread over the whole body and hair begins to fall out, first from the head and even from the eyebrows. As things get worse, fingernails and toenails become loose. They start to rot and eventually fall off. Then the joints of fingers and toes begin to rot and fall off piece by piece. Gums begin to shrink and they can't hold the teeth anymore, so each of them is lost. Leprosy keeps eating away at your face until literally the nose, the palate, and even the eyes rot. And the victim wastes away until death. So this was serious. This was not some minor thing. Uh, This was a dreadful disease, and it was a death sentence. And and normally, it, it led to the person being outcast from the community. Now, Naaman's military prowess and, and powerful connections may have stopped this from happening up until this point, or, or he, he may not have been bad enough yet in, in terms of the progression of the leprosy uh, for him to be required to be quarantined from everyone, uh, but he was on his way there and on his way to death. So let's, let's look at verses uh, 5 through 8 again. Just read them so we know where we're at. Then the king of Aram said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. He departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand shekels of gold and ten changes of clothes. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, And now this letter comes to you. Behold, I've sent Naaman my servant to you that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? But consider now and see how he's seeking a quarrel against me. It happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me. He shall know there is a prophet in Israel. We see here a description of of gold and silver and changes of clothes. And uh, as scholars have added that up and tried to equate it to modern dollars, the the estimates are between 1 and 1.5 million dollars that Naaman brings on this journey with him to come see the king of Israel, hoping to be healed. And we, we may wonder here why, the same thing the king of Israel was wondering, why did he come to the king? Why would that be the place he would assume he should go? Well, it's very likely that Naaman assumed, as it was with most of the nations uh, surrounding, that the prophets were controlled by the king. That basically the prophets worked for the king, and and whatever the king said, they said. Uh, That was not the case in Israel. Uh, As a matter of fact, Elisha and the king did not get along very well. Elisha wasn't even really welcome around, and that's because Elisha just said stuff how it was. (laughs) He spoke the word of God. He didn't speak the words that the king put into his mouth. And so Naaman really was... He was just doing what anybody would assume you should do. You, you go see the king if you want to see the prophet, and, and basically the, the deities were all wrapped up into that political scene. Uh, that is not the case with the God of Israel. Amen. Real thankful about it. Verses 9 through 14. Let's look at those. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you and you will be clean. But Naaman was furious and went away and said, behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. 
Are not Abinah and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went, he turned away in a rage. Then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Now, the first thing to know here about why Naaman is so offended is, is the Jordan was known for not being a particularly nice river. It wasn't big, it wasn't grand, and it wasn't particularly clean. It was rather muddy most of the time. Uh, and so that's part of the issue here. Uh, but what we want to ask, the, the, the question that we're looking at, and, and what we're asking in the series is, is what was God doing here? What, why have Naaman dip himself in the Jordan instead of maybe what he would have expected, which is for Elisha to come out and make some proclamation and sounded like he thought he should wave his hand. There was a way Naaman thought this should go and it didn't go that way. Why? What, what is God doing here? Is, is, is it not peculiar to say the least that the answer to Naaman is go dip yourself in the Jordan seven times? It is. And, and the answer to that what is God doing here with this strange course of events? It's that the most important healing that day was not the leprosy on Naaman's skin. It was the pride in his heart. The most important healing that day was not the leprosy on Naaman's skin. It was the pride in his heart. It is so obvious that God is humbling Naaman in all of this. Look at verse 10 again. It says, Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you and you will be clean. Naaman, being basically the right-hand guy to the king of Aram, is not used to having a messenger sent to him to address him. He's used to having the attention of people of prominence. He's used to running in circles of power. He's not used to having a messenger sent out. So even, even in that, that Elisha didn't come to him himself, the humbling started there. You can imagine the indignation. And then for the messenger to say, here's, here's what the prophet said, go down to the Jordan and dip yourself seven times. This is a setup. This is God dealing with the, the deeper problem, the real problem, which is Naaman's pride. The question I want to ask you is, do you believe this? Friends, do you believe this? Do you really believe that the sin of pride in the heart is far more detestable of a plague than leprosy on the skin or any physical ailment we could be dealing with? Do you really believe that the greatest problem Naaman had this day was not leprosy, as terrible as that was, but pride? how dark and disgusting and detestable pride is. Here's the thing. Naaman is not the first or the last to have God answer him in a way that he never would have expected. I would flip that to you. Do you have any examples in your life? Could you relate an account of God answering a prayer in a way you didn't expect? 
maybe in a way you didn't like. Is God not prone to do that? Out of his great love for us. He does it all the time. It's, it's almost as if God answers prayers in ways we wouldn't expect more often than ways we would expect. Because the problem is, when, we, when we're praying for something, let's, let's call it healing from leprosy, and then we project our own understanding onto God and our own idea of how that should go. And ultimately, God's never just dealing with one thing. He's, he wasn't, the leprosy's not even the main point. And Naaman, Naaman didn't know that, but he knows it by the end. Amen. I, I, I suspect if you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, there's a story you could tell of a prayer, of, of a time when you've come to God asking for something and didn't like the answer or didn't like the way he did it or thought you didn't. But as you were able to walk that thing out, you can look back and see and know that God was doing, he was giving you what you would have prayed for if you knew everything he knows. Come on, that's good right there. Amen. Now, the humbling continues. It's not done. Having a, a messenger come out uh, instead of the prophet himself, having to go dip in the Jordan, this kind of nasty river, the humbling hasn't stopped. Let's, let's look at verses 15 and 16. When he returned to the man of God with all his company and came and stood before him, he said, Behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so please take a present from your servant now. But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will take nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. See, here's the thing. There was still a chance that Naaman could acknowledge God's power in his existence. He does that. I now know there's no God other than this, this God of Israel. So he could acknowledge God's power in existence, but he could still think that God's goodness to him in healing his leprosy was on account of his status in the world. That was still a risk here. He could acknowledge that God was powerful and acknowledge that, that he was real, but he could still think that the reason God responded to him or did something for him was because of who he was or what he had. The prophet, Elisha, refusing his money, let him know that God honors humble obedience and that he's no respecter of persons. It let him know. It took away that last little potential for Naaman to think, well, I, I mean, naturally God healed me. I'm, I'm important or I'm rich and I can, I can make it worth the prophet's while. Interesting that God instructed Elisha not to do it in such a way where it could have, in Naaman's mind, been focused on on Elisha, that if Elisha comes out with his staff and does some incantation or waves his hand, that he, he could be confused that it's some power in Elisha. Elisha's out of the picture. It's about, will you obey this word from the Lord out of the mouth of the prophet to go down to this river, humble yourself, and dip yourself in it seven times? And then he finds out the prophet didn't do this because he thought you could pay him. God didn't do this because he needed your money. Come on now. Friends, do you see it? A guy who could get anything he wanted and do anything he wanted in the world because of who he was and what he had, he needed a healing that neither 
his status, nor his money could get him. He wasn't used to that. And it speaks volumes. Because this is the exact same place that every single person who will come to God for salvation must arrive. Everybody's got to get to the place that Naaman had to come to. Of realizing that God's goodness and power exerted towards you is not because of something you're bringing to the table. We must realize we bring nothing to the table that will assist in the great miracle of spiritually dead men and women being made alive again. It is God's power and it is God's goodness alone that brings the healing we need. Hallelujah. Come on, that's good. Amen. Naaman's helping us today, isn't he? Man, it's clear as crystal. Let's look at verses 17 and 18. They say this, Naaman said, if not, okay, so Elisha turns down the money, and so Naaman says, okay, well, if if you're not going to let me pay you, please let your servant at least be given two mules load of earth. For your servant will no longer offer burnt offerings nor will he sacrifice to other gods. So you might be thinking, okay. So he tries to pay Elisha, then he wants to take dirt home. What's happening? Okay. Basically, this was pretty common in that day. They, they, they basically oftentimes believed that deities were connected to land. Okay. So basically what he's asking for is take, to take some dirt home so that he can set up an altar to worship God from that. We don't see Elisha correcting him in that. And, and I think that is something to say about maybe how religiously uptight we get sometimes. Naaman's a brand new believer. He's just come to understand the God of Israel is the one true God. Uh, and, and I think maybe Elisha's giving him some room that as he, he's trusting that God, as he continues to work in Naaman's heart, will show him that he doesn't need to take dirt from Israel in order to worship him. Okay, but that's what he's asking for, and that's what's going on there. But to the Lord in this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes in, so his master is the king of Aram. When he goes into the house of Ramon, another deity from Aram, to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon. When I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. So basically what he's saying is part of his duties, part of his job, is to be the right-hand man of the king. In a very literal sense, even that when the king goes in to worship the deity there, Ramon, that, uh, that Naaman is standing right there. And it gives this idea, there's, theologians are not sure about whether this means there was some feebleness in, you know, in terms of like the, the king physically needing help getting up, so like Naaman would bow down next to him with him, or not. Uh, but that's kind of besides the point. For whatever reason, he was going to be expected to, to bow down next to the king. But what he's saying is, Lord, please pardon me. That I have to, that's a part of my duties. I have to do that. But, I, but I, I won't be doing it in worship. I won't be doing it in acknowledgement of, of that false deity. And what, is, what does Elisha say to him? He says, go in peace. I think, again, this, this speaks to some of how we can, we can get overly zealous and, and maybe religious at times. Some of you work in jobs where there's maybe, maybe the boss is crooked. Maybe the boss is mean. Maybe the boss, you know doesn't exemplify anything of the fruit of the Spirit, is not a follower of Jesus. And, and listen, we, we, we can never compromise what God has asked us to do or not to do in, in, in order to you know, 
fulfill our occupational responsibilities. We can't do that. But just being in a place, sometimes God will actually use that. Uh, we can have integrity, and if, even if evil things are being done around us or even by those above us, doesn't mean we have to participate that. We can stand in integrity, and, and you'll find, it, it, a lot of times the, the people will feel like they have a tough choice there. If you'll just stand in integrity, oftentimes a choice will be made for you. Either they'll be convicted and they'll, they'll kick you out of there somehow, or God may use you to bring conviction to the people around you, to affect that atmosphere, affect the hearts of those people. So uh, I just know I've had a lot of conversations in the past where people have these dilemmas because of situations like this. And I'm not saying that all of the instruction we could talk about surrounding that is, is given. I'm not saying we have a holistic view of how to you know, go about that from what is said here, but I think it shows something uh, of the heart of God in the matter. So it's interesting to see what, what ends up happening here. So, Naaman comes to the king of Israel. He's then the whole deal with the Jordan. He's healed of his leprosy. And then, and then he goes back home with his heart changed, with a humble acknowledgement of the God of Israel. And, and whether, whether he wanted to go back in, in this fashion or not, we need to understand, we're asking what is God doing throughout this series? What is God doing with this Aramean general Naaman, what is the deal? At the very least, what we see is Naaman is now going back with a changed heart into the courts of the king, into places of influence. And we don't get any record of what happens as a result of that, like we do when Daniel's pulled up out of the lion's den, for example, and and the king says, all right, now everyone worships Daniel's God, because clearly he's real. We don't don't get a record of that happening, but we, we have to assume that Naaman going back now with, with a transformed heart, Naaman going back now acknowledging who the God of Israel is, that he is the God, he is I am that I am, that he now was going to have an influence. So really we had, a, we had a missionary made here. Naaman, a man of, goes back healed, a man who already had the respect of his people, now is a follower of God. What is God doing? That's what we're asking in this sermon series. Man, he's always doing a lot. That's the point of this sermon series. It isn't just about Naaman's leprosy. It isn't even just about Naaman's pride. It's about all the things that God is doing. As a matter of fact, in the midst of all this, if you keep reading, uh, Elisha's servant Gehazi gets outed as a selfish, greedy guy because he chases after Naaman and says, hey, actually, my master changed his mind. We want to get some silver for help some other people. And so Naaman's like, yeah, absolutely. Here, take it. Gehazi runs back and hides it and goes back in front of Elisha. And Elisha's like, hey, man, where were you? Gehazi's like, oh, I didn't go anywhere. Elisha said, hey, man. Uh, basically, he's kind of like, uh, I'm a prophet. So guess what? Now you have Naaman's leprosy. Woo. And that seems like kind of a harsh punishment for being greedy and going and getting some silver. But I think it has to do with what, what taking that from Naaman put at risk, right? Because we already talked about how important it is that Elisha didn't take any money from Naaman for that healing. Because it was very important that Naaman's heart was changed in this thing. That's what God's always after. Naaman's heart, he needed to understand that it was God's goodness and grace is the reason he received the healing, not because he was important in his own mind or the mind of other people. Or rich. Amen. Now, I, I saved something that I think is beautiful. 
for the end, okay? Now, I'm always telling you that the whole Bible is about Jesus, and it's either pointing us forward to him and his gospel, or it's giving us his gospel, right, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or from there forward, you know, Acts to Revelation, it's telling us how to live in light of his gospel. And, and there's a whisper here, I, I wonder if you heard. And if you didn't, I'm going I'm to point it out to you. But I won't whisper about it, because I'm excited about it. You already know about that. Okay, so... If we are looking for the gospel in this story, okay, we, we've already seen salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in, in Naaman's humbling and his healing. It wasn't Naaman's money. It wasn't Naaman's status. It wasn't anything Naaman brought to the table. God healed him, both physically and spiritually. But is there something more? I mean, that's, that's a pretty strong gospel echo right there, right? We, we found one, and it's, it's big, and it's glorious, and it's worthy to be shouted about. I hope you already said amen about that. If you didn't, now's your chance. But here's another one. Let's go to verses two and three. Did you realize I skipped those? Did you guys catch me on that? I skipped at the beginning. I tried to be quiet about it and slide it past you because I wanted to come back and get you right here. Look at, let's look at verses two and three. Now the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel. And she waited on Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. What do we got, friends? We got a little girl here willing to forgive and make a way for the healing of someone who had sinned against her greatly. We don't even get her name, but this little girl, come on, who's that sound like? Somebody that's willing to Make a way for people that have sinned against them greatly. Come on now. This little girl got yanked up out of her home at some point when the, when the bands from Aramea came and, and, and were taking people as slaves. She got taken from her family. I mean, imagine her, fa- imagine her family who, assumedly, if this little girl had enough faith to say, oh man, I just know. I know if my master could get to that prophet in Samaria, he could heal him of this leprosy. She'd been raised in the things of the Lord, so we're assuming it's a family who has followed the Lord or knows something about the God of Israel. I mean, how, how much were they sitting there in their situation? Totally no idea, no way whatsoever to be able to look forward and understand how this little girl and, and the forgiveness that she gave to this man who, who owned her, right? Who had sinned against her greatly, who had negatively affected her life greatly was going to be the catalyst God was going to use for him to not only be healed of leprosy, be healed of pride and sin in his heart. How many times did her parents think, what is God doing? How could God let our little girl be pulled off to a foreign land? What was God doing? Well, he's doing lots of things. Largely, he's de- he was dealing with Israel on and off because of their disobedience, trying to bring the whole nation to a place of humility and understanding that they needed him. But God's always, he's always doing, there's, He's doing micro stuff and macro stuff. God's always doing little stuff individually at the level. When that little girl got pulled out of Israel, God knew he would, she would end up in Naaman's house. God knew Naaman was going to have leprosy. God knew this little girl was going to still somehow have love in her heart and mention that there's a prophet in Israel that could heal him, that he would end up going to the king, getting punted to Elisha, getting punted to a messenger, getting told to dip in the Jordan seven times, and finding out there's a God who is powerful and good in Israel, who doesn't do stuff the way all the other gods around tend to do. Amen. Come on. Hallelujah. What does that mean? 
Well, friends, I hope, I hope you're translating that to your own situation. I hope you're willing, as we've done week after week, we're looking at these stories, looking at the complexity of all that God is always doing, right? It's one thing for us to go to Romans 8 and to, and to say the verse that if you've been around the things of God for any amount of time, you've heard that, you know, God has promised that he will always work all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. We all know Romans 8, 28. Many of us can quote it. Many of us got a fridge magnet or it's on a little card on the mirror. And and that's not a bad thing. That's great. Plastered up everywhere. But here's what I'm saying. I'm trying to put some meat on the bone, right? I'm trying for you to have, when you say God is faithful and he will always work all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. I hope when you say that, you're thinking about all the times in your life when that's been true. I hope you're thinking about all the times through the biblical history, you're thinking about Naaman, you're thinking about Joseph, and you're thinking about Moses, and you're thinking about Rahab. I hope that you're seeing that this is not just some cute statement, but it is an eternal truth and that God is faithful to it. Woo! Amen. Man, that's good. I hope that these th- this sermon series is not just another one that gets filed in the back, and maybe you remember a couple quotes from it, but this this is the word of the word of God should be transforming us. Should our faith as we're going through all of what we're going through right now. We have ample opportunities to be in that place of either going, what is God doing? Or going, what is God doing? Knowing that he's doing big stuff right now all around the world at a real high level. And he's doing little stuff in individual hearts and minds. He's doing all that. He can be doing all that at the same time. And he's not sweating Because he's God, the God. I am that I am. Come on, are you comforted by that? Are you built up in your faith by that? Are you excited about the fact that that God has gotten a hold of you? That if you belong to him today, that if he saved you by grace through faith in Christ, that you're on his team and you're a part of his mission and he's using you just like he's using all these other people? Hallelujah. And and friend, if you're listening to this today and, and you have not bowed your knee to Jesus, if you have not experience the goodness and power of God. If you haven't come to the place of understanding like Naaman, that you bring nothing to the table, that you can't save yourself. It doesn't matter how many people respect you. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what your status is in this world. Leprosy throughout the Bible is, is it's a type and a shadow pointing to our spiritual condition aside from Christ. We all, aside from Christ, have spiritual leprosy and death is our sentence. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The only way, the curing what we need in our heart to go from death to life, to be from spiritually dead to spiritually alive, is to be humbled and come to the place where we're willing to ask Jesus to be our Savior. That's why God sent Christ to live a perfect life, die in our place for our sins, because every one of us is a sinner and then rise from the grave. Because none of us, if left to our own devices, were going to be able to live perfectly, but Jesus did. And that's why he died as a substitute. He stood in. He took the punishment we deserve so we could get the, the grace and, and, and the, the righteousness and, and the prize that he deserved, which is eternal communion with God the Father. That is the gospel. And maybe you've stayed away from God because you've tried reading the Bible before and and it's all this stuff, and you read, you've read the story of Naaman in the past, and it's like, okay, all right, there's Aramee in general, and he had leprosy, okay, cool, and dipped in the Jordan. What does that mean? But friend, what I'm hoping is that you can see. Maybe this is the first time you've heard someone preach this story and show you that it's, it ties to the big story. It's not just about this. 
It's not just about Naaman. It's what God is doing from Genesis to Revelation. This, this whole Bible is pointing to the truth about Jesus. And the mission of the church today. Maybe you've had a bad experience with churches. I, I know. I promise you I understand. But friend, there are churches that understand what God's message is. And there are churches that care desperately about getting that message of hope to as many people as possible. And they know there's churches that aren't going to look down on you because you've still got spiritual leprosy because anybody who truly understands the gospel knows that they were that same leper, that they had to get in that Jordan and dip seven times. And what does that mean for us? It means coming to Christ. And it means acknowledging that we're a sinner and that we can't save ourselves and receiving the free gift of salvation through faith, through trusting Him. Friend, we love you. And we're hoping. We're hoping that you won't storm off thinking that you deserve something different or some other way. That you have somehow earned your righteousness, or that you have been perfect or good enough to stand before a holy God on your own merits. We're hoping today that by the Spirit of God and by the power of His Word, you'll come to the same place Naaman did. Thank God for Naaman's servants. Thank God he had some servants that weren't just yes-men that had the guts to tell him about himself and say, listen, man, if, if, he did, if he just said, sacrifice a thousand bulls and you'll be healed, Naaman would have been on it. But for some reason, doing something simple and, and humble that seemed beneath him just wouldn't do. Friend, don't stay away from Jesus because of pride. Don't do it. It's not worth it. And those of you who belong to Jesus understand we, we need to go down in the Jordan every day and dip seven more times because that pride is going to always be trying to come back up. We're still in the process of being sanctified and we're going to be tempted until we are on the other side of eternity to think again that somehow we contributed to what God has done, the great miracle he's done in saving us. Hallelujah. Thank God for his spirit that he's faithful to continue working on us. Amen. As we think through these things, may we go from here and may we walk in this world with the humility that Naaman was taught and the love of God that we see from a little slave girl. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you so much for making sure that in 2 Kings 5, Naaman's story was recorded. Thank you, Lord, for through this series showing us yet again how dependable you are to make sure that we get to see this narrative unfold of you working in your people and working in the peoples around them. Thank you, God. This story makes a lot more sense now that we got to see Jesus come and, and preach the good news of the kingdom, not only for those who were of the tribe of Israel, but for those who were not, that the Gentiles, your plan all along was for the, the playing field to be level, for there to no longer be Jew or Greek, slave or free, that in Christ you were going to put us all on the same, on the same plane, that we were going to finally see that we all have the same need, that we're all spiritual lepers in need of healing, and that there is one answer for all, and his name is Jesus. God, thank you. Lord, we, we confess right now our tendency to pride. Sometimes that comes out in, in obvious ways where we're just selfish and we just want our own way. But sometimes, God, it, 
It's in much more sneaky ways where we're, we're maybe just quietly disappointed that you haven't done what we think you should do as fast as we think you should do it. Lord, please forgive our arrogance. Please forgive our insolence. We are not you. You are you. <laughs> and we bow before you in acknowledgement of your power and your goodness. And if you are as powerful as we see in your word and you're as good as we see in your word, then we have nothing to fear and we have no reason to stand in judgment of you. To think that we know what you should have done or how you should have done it or when you should have done it. God, help us to trust you. Help us to trust that as you're working at a cosmic level and, and you're working throughout the entire earth and all that you're doing, that you're also working all the way down at the minuscule level of each one of our hearts, that you are that powerful. You can attend to all those details and not be taxed because of how mighty you really are. You've given us every reason to trust you, Lord. You've given us every reason to walk in faith and not in fear. Thank you. Please help us by the power of your spirit to take the things you've given us and put them into practice. We want to be doers of your word and not hearers only. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.